live from New York, it's Saturday night! Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. To kick off 2017, we have a very special treat for fans of sketch comedy. This past fall, we had an opportunity to talk with Robin Duke, who comedy aficionados will know as one of the few performers to serve as a cast member on both SCTV and SNL. Robin has had a storied career in sketch comedy dating all the way back to the founding of the Second City Theatre in Toronto. She spent four years at SNL during the show's tumultuous early 80s, and she's gone on to act alongside comedy luminaries such as Robin Williams, Martin Short, and Bill Murray in classic films like Groundhog Day. She's currently featured on the FXX comedy series Man Seeking Woman and CBC Pop Shits Creek, which returns for its third season on January 10th. Robin was gracious enough to spend a full hour with us to talk about her path to a career in comedy and what it was like to come up alongside so many other amazing performers during such a legendary era for sketch comedy during the late 70s and early 80s. We couldn't be more thrilled to share Robin's story with our listeners. Also, riding shotgun with me was friend of the show Andy Hoagland. Andy is a syndicated columnist whose work can be found in the Huffington Post, Playboy, Newsweek, and the Daily Beast, among others. He also writes SNL and Review, which discusses the careers of Saturday Night Live alumni post-SNL. You can connect with Andy on Twitter at SNL and Review, and you can connect with us at snlafterparty.fm. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. These reviews help us to get the word out, and they're greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy. You're from Etobicoke. Yes, I am. Yeah, and uh, that's kind of where you connected with Catherine O'Hara, and then the rest is history, so to speak. Yeah, well, Catherine and I went to the same high school. Catherine had come from, uh, oh, Our Lady of Peace, uh, and I came from, you know, the public school. So Catherine came from the Catholic school, and we, we hooked up in grade nine at Burnenburg Collegiate, and we were fast friends because we just had the same sensibility and mm-hmm. sense of humor, and it was finally, you know, somebody who made me laugh, like my <laughs> dad or my family, right. you know? And Catherine was just, oh, my God, she was, you know, in grade nine doing impersonations of Don Rickles and uh, <laughs> who else? Oh, oh, she was just doing these unbelievable impersonations in grade nine. It was just fantastic. And we, we hung out and we did characters and we wrote little plays for the school. And, and Catherine was always saying, you know, she was going to be an actress. And I was saying, yeah, 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 I'm going to be an actress, too. <laughs> And her brother, Marcus O'Hara, was going out with Gilda Radner. And oh, wow. Gilda, uh, yeah, Gilda was uh, doing Godspell, so Gilda would get us tickets to see Godspell. Oh, okay. And Godspell had, like, people in it, like Gilda and Marty. Paul Schaefer was the pianist. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Eugene. Well, you know all this, right? That mm-hmm. that group from, from Godspell, and then a lot of them started this second city in Toronto. Yeah. So, Catherine, when she got out of high school, ended up going to Second City. I ended up going to university because uh, I was going to be a teacher. And then I went down to Second City, and I was just, that was it. I was smitten, <laughs> and I just saw, you know, Eugene and John and, and Gilda, those people, Danny Aykroyd, Valerie uh, Bromfield, performing on stage, just smart, funny 
comedy, politically, you know, political satire, social satire. It was just, it just was everything that I wanted to do. There was acting involved. It was funny. All that. I just wanted to do it. So, um, that's quite the scene to sort of fall into. Well, there was, you know, it's interesting. I teach it at Humber College right? in their comedy program. And I'm just in the process of saying all this to my students about where I started. And uh, there was nothing at that point. There was no comedy scene. You know, the, the, a comedy scene didn't, there wasn't even a word for it. Is this around like 73, 74, like sort of when yep. the Mercer Street Theater was just sort of ramping up? Is that what we're talking about here? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was no Saturday Night Live. Right. Yuck Yucks hadn't even opened. When did you sort of make the transition from being like super enthusiastic about what was going on locally to actually jumping in and saying, okay, I'm giving this a shot? Oh, right away. Yeah. I mean, there was just, as they say, there was just Second Second City. That was it. There was nothing else going on in the city. <laughs> you know, there was, there's like, like little uh, review shows right. that were musical uh-huh. reviews, like What's a Nice Country or cheesy review shows. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But, but Second City was cool. It was smart. It was hip. Right. Uh, Second City today, uh, it's a little bit tougher to kind of break through. Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, Because obviously, you know, it's it's more established. But at the time, was it just like show up and get up on stage? Or did you still have the process of audition and then maybe being in one of the touring companies or something and kind of like making your bones? Here's what happened to me. I started taking workshops. I took workshops from a guy named Sheldon Patinkin. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. uh, Yep. out Out of Chicago. Amazing. He was an acting teacher. So he was teaching us all those viola, soul, and theater games mm-hmm. in order to improvise. And then Dell came along, and I took classes from Dell close. Now, these classes were Saturday morning for three hours, three or four hours for like 10, 20 bucks. And you just paid as you came. Okay. That was it. There was no, uh, you know, levels or anything like that. It was just like maybe 10 people showed up on a Saturday to take workshops. Mm-hmm. So that was the scene. <laughs> did you, did you take the workshop with uh, anyone else who later would, would join the troupe or uh, appeared on SCTV? Uh, like was Catherine there at this time with Dell? Uh, Catherine had already started workshops. And by, I think by the time I started taking the workshops, Catherine May have been in the show or may have been in the touring company at that point. No, there was no touring company at that point. So Catherine must have been doing the show. Okay. When did you cross the line from participating in the lessons and, and actually started performing? Well, Dell closed, as they said, with Dell. I was taking uh, workshops from Dell, and one Saturday I came in and he said, Okay, you're in. Mm-hmm. Next person, you're in. And Dell had been asked to put together a touring company by Andrew Alexander. And it uh-huh. was the first seven people who came through the door who got into the touring <laughs> company. Okay. <laughs> so that's how I got my first professional story, where you would do um, archival material. Right, uh, right. Old scenes from uh, funeral or, I mean, from, from Chicago Second City. Yeah. They hadn't, and so you would go and, I guess we'd go to colleges or resort, uh, that sort of thing, and perform those old scenes. But it was a great way to learn structure and, you know, beats 
interested in laughs, you know, how, how long you, you, you can go before you have to get a laugh, <laughs> that sort of thing. So it was great, uh, a great training. Quite the boot camp. Yeah, but it was just, I showed up, I tell my students, I showed up, I was on time, and I got the gig. Right. So that's their lesson, you know. <laughs> so there you go. It had nothing to do with talent. <laughs> well, obviously, it had a little bit to do with talent. You can only go so far on punctuality. Well, <laughs> so let's let's fast forward a bit. So now you are knee deep in Second City. You are learning your craft, and then as SNL starts to ramp up, it kind of piques some interest amongst uh, Second City to maybe do something televised as well. Yeah, and you just happen happen to be in the in the fray as as all of this is starting to explode in the mid seventies. So. Okay, well, Catherine was in SETV. Once again, there wasn't a big pool of people to draw from. Right. If I tried to get into Second City now, there's, there'd be no way. I mean, there's so much competition. Right. But at the time, it was just, it was handed to me. So, um... So you joined from the, uh, the traveling show. You started to uh, perform with the main company? Main- yeah, I started on main stage. I um, oh, I, I was just talking to Catherine and Marty about this the other night. We were trying to figure all that out. <laughs> like that, I got a phone call around ten o'clock at night from them, and they were up north trying to figure out the dates and who was in the cast and when I came in, when Marty came in. So I really don't know. We were, <laughs> we were trying to figure it all out. You were in the first sketch that Martin Short started to perform the Ed Grimley character. Um, I think it's called Sexist. Do you have any recollections about that moment? Oh, yeah, Sexist. That's right. Ed Grimley. No, (laughs) I don't remember. I don't remember. I remember doing Marty's hair backstage. (laughs) I remember putting it into a point. Or um, when he'd be rushing between, you know, sketches, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, that's what I remember about about that. I always thought Kath- Catherine did sexist. So Marty came in and replaced John Candy, right, right, who had been doing sexist. Okay, that's how that worked. Like, so did you come up with the point, or was that <laughs> Marty's decision? I can't remember. I think it's probably Marty. I can't remember, but I uh, it was probably Marty. Mm-hmm. He always had that shirt, or did he? Oh golly! Oh, <laughs> well, some of this is just lost to history, I guess. It is. I, I think it's you know an interesting question because it's you know you think of these iconic characters and how they kind of evolved into becoming you know so yeah. uh, um, particularly if you're working with you know the likes of Marty Shorter or Eddie Murphy, you know, I just think it's kind of a fascinating process. Oh, it is. It is. But it's just you know it's happening at Second City. I mean, you're just backstage and somebody says, okay, you've got to, yeah, we need you to come out as, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, a guy that does this. And so you grab a hat or you grab a pair of glasses or you do a funny hairstyle right. and you make an entrance to get, a, you know, and get a laugh. And that sort of starts your character. Yeah. And it's all just happening so fast. And, and if it, if it clicks with the audience or with you, then, oh, that guy, I like that guy. I like that character. <laughs> and then you try it again and you, you, you develop it a bit more. Right. So it's all just happening really fast. Yeah, you have no idea where it's going to go when it starts. It's not till you look back that you see how amazingly some things come together. Yeah. 
that is absolutely awesome. It's uh, it's you don't you don't know how much of a treat this is for us to uh, be able to kind of hear the the firsthand account of being in the trenches. <laughs> well, we did some wacky improv. I have to tell you, Marty playing uh, Bet Davis. I remember this one. We don't play. He was Bet Davis, and I was his caretaker. We were always on a boat. <laughs> oh, it was just ridiculous. It was insane, funny, silly, stupid stuff. So would you attribute uh, your break with Second City mostly to Del Close, or was Catherine O'Hara kind of um, responsible for oh. that as well, too? Like, at what point, you know, was it you were, you know, kind of le- making your own way there? Oh, no, it was Catherine all the way. I mean, even, I mean, Catherine just paved the way. Um, you know, she said she wanted to be an actress, and she went for it. At the time, there was no comedy scene. I didn't know anybody who acted. She knew Gilda, so that was sort of a a road into right. theater. And um, I just followed her, and she always encouraged me, and it then supported me, and you know, put my name in. And you know, she was just always, always there. She had more confidence in me than I did in myself. So, uh, I, I just, you know, it's all. Catherine. Yeah. You know, she just, uh, she's very, um, very, very supportive and generous that way. And here we are 40 years later and you're still working together. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So when did word come down to you guys, you know, the, the lowly performers that the, the higher ups are starting to think about pushing this into television? Well, I didn't know anything about that. It was, uh, when it, started it was Catherine and you know Catherine was in the original cast with with Andrea right so they right. were going with with a lot of the original people from Second City and then it wasn't until Catherine left that I came in and yeah. once again replaced her <laughs> at uh at SCTV that's a recurring theme in your career <laughs> it totally is so I was uh I was watching an interview yesterday where Dave Thomas mentioned that Joe Flaherty brought you in with Tony uh uh, Rosado, is that true? Well, I think he may have. You mean to to uh, SCTV? Yeah, to SCTV. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess it was Joe. I guess it was because Joe was sort of that. Joe Flaherty to me was always had that. I think he was the, the what? What is the word? The seed of it all. The seed of that comedy, that sensibility that we know today. Right. Okay. Um, came from Joe. That. You know, you always wanted to pass things by Joe. What was good? What was funny? He had sort of the golden ear for what worked and what didn't work. Yeah, I always, I always come back to Joe because it was his. Uh, yeah, it was his sensibility, his sense, his taste, his okay. style that determined SCTV and and what was you know what was happening at Second City. He was the one that auditioned people for that first cast in Toronto. Oh, he really? was there in the room. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of this stuff is in there's a book by Jeffrey Sweet called Something Wonderful Right Away. Have you heard of that book? Yeah, absolutely. So there's you know it, there's a lot of of that in there about Joe, you know, starting in Toronto. Right. And so uh, yeah, so he he was the guy. You know, you just wanted to make Joe laugh. You wanted to make sure that he was happy. <laughs> mhm. So when when they called you up to start uh, participating in SCTV, was it still uh, being filmed in Toronto or did you have to head out to Alberta? I went to Edmonton, yeah. yeah. How long were you out there? What was that experience like? 
Oh, it was um, it was good. It was my first time away from home. Uh, there was a for me there was a lot of drinking. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can remember is drinking. Um, but no, it was it was uh, it was fun. It was great. It was creative, and you just basically could write and perform what you'd written. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, and there was nobody really interfering yeah. with what was going on, except, you know, you had to get it by Joe, but you trusted him. It wasn't like uh, any network guy with no sense of humor or no was saying, no, no, that's, you can't do that. It was just, you knew what you were doing was good. Right. That's so rare to get an opportunity like that where oh, it's just a free for all and everyone can kind of be creative and it's not, uh, it, it's not stifled. No, it wasn't. And it shows. It, it shows in the show if you watch it. Yeah. You guys must have been having a blast. Well, it is. I mean, you're just, well, all you're doing is making each other laugh, you know, and that, that's, you know, what Women Fully Clothed was about. You know, I went back to that was, as long as we're making each other laugh, it's good. It's going to be funny. Right. And uh, I think that's how SCTV worked. You know, that they all had a good sense of what was funny, what was good, what was what would work and uh, they just shared that, that same point of view or yeah. Yeah. As a female writer, um, what was the experience like working in a, uh, an environment of, of largely male voices? Was that difficult? Uh, Well, you know, I never, well, I can't say never, but I never thought of it as male or female. You know, I just, I just always thought I'm a writer, I'm a performer, and funny, right. funny, and I mean, I never went into any any situation or comedy situation really thinking that I was a woman. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't think I ever used my sex to to promote myself or 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 hinder myself. I think I just was. Um, Going for a laugh sure. and however I could get that. Yeah, sure. Were you treated pretty much equally, would you say? Oh, not when I came in. No, to SCTV, no. I was the new kid. And okay. that was, you know, I, I wasn't the female new kid. I don't, you know, maybe looking back now, I go, oh, hmm, that's because I'm a woman. <laughs> but at, at the time, I wasn't thinking that, you know, just, okay, I'm here and uh, I got to sure. write some funny stuff and I got to come up with funny characters. And, you know, so I would write with Tony because we, we were good together and, and that sort of thing. Or I'd write my own stuff. And yeah, so I wasn't, it, it was just, the, you know, the new kid. Is that where you first crossed paths with Tony Rosado? Oh, no, Tony and I were on stage oh, okay. for... For a long time together. So you already knew you worked well with him. Oh yeah, yeah. We we um we worked uh, very well. We had a lot of fun. So what is the process like for writing and developing characters on SCTV? You know, I was watching the other day uh, your exercise is easy sketch, which you know, for people (laughs) who haven't watched it, it's an amazing sketch. I think it would you know one hundred percent play if it was uh, aired today on on television. Your you know, slamming your head on the chalkboard and, and, and plating a balloon with a pump, you know, how did, how do you develop those sorts of ideas? <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, it's always got to come from a place of truth, like, you know, something that's going on with me. And, you know, I've always had big hips 
the, what the solution to that? Well, maybe if I had a bigger head. So <laughs> right. that's how that starts. You know, then there's that thought of, you know, movie stars having bigger heads than most people. Right. So you kind of like piece all those concepts together and and structure them, put in put them into some kind of a a structure and the I don't know where that sad character came from. <laughs> but she's pretty sad looking when I think of it. <laughs> you know, it's just always and then, you know, putting more hips on than I already have. It was just, you know, for me, it was always more is more. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's so, what makes your, your work so compelling, though, is that uh, a lot of your characters are, you know, so funny and so full of life, but there's kind of a, a tragedy to them almost, you know? I, I don't know how cognizant you were of that. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, there's... <laughs> Don't don't you love it when people analyze your work at a much deeper level than you ever yeah. intended? <laughs> oh really? I'm in I'm in shock because it's really just oh god I gotta get a laugh I gotta get a laugh what am I gonna do? Right. Like it right. started when I was a kid I, I went you know I was an elf in a play and it's like that's not enough I can't just be an elf I've got to and then somebody said who wants to be an elf with a mustache and it was like I'll do I'll do it sure I'll have the mustache and then it was like blacking out my teeth and you mm -hmm. know anything to get a laugh or uh, a attention I guess is what it really comes down to mm -hmm. but not so much in life but certainly when I'm in front of an audience like yes I don't know <laughs> so bad Anyway, you spent a solid season, right, on SCTV? Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is where kind of legend and myth sort of creep into the story because we're now kind of pushing to the end of the 70s, if if I've got my time frames right, and a lot of stuff is sort of blowing up at SNL and there's just all sorts of retooling going on yeah. across the board with SCTV and at, at SNL and you're right in the thick of it. So what can you kind of tell us about, uh, you know, you're out in Edmonton and somehow, you know, a few months later you're in Manhattan. What, wh what happened? <laughs> well, um, what happened? So yeah, so SCTV and then I don't know, was I back at main stage? I'm not sure. I can't remember. Uh, but Catherine was asked, of course, to go to SNL. Mm -hmm. And Catherine went down to Saturday Night Live. I guess it was in the spring. And um, they had brought in Dick Ebersol. Right, right. To produce. It had been Gene Domanian, and that hadn't mm -hmm. gone well. So Dick Ebersol came in. And they brought Catherine in. They brought Tony in. Uh-huh. And then Catherine got there and didn't, and you know, realized that she didn't want to be there. Right. Is it true that she quit uh, after a rant from Michael Donahue? I don't know. I'm not sure about that. I think that you know that may have been a part of it. You know, but I, I don't think that was it. I think she just recognized. Wait a second. I, you know, this is more of the same for me. And if I. And then I guess she may have gotten an offer from SCTV. I'm not sure. Yeah. I just think that, and I, I get it. She had, she wanted to do film. She wanted to, mm -hmm. to act and, and, and do something different. And I just think Saturday Night Live was, was not where she felt she was going to, you know, 
grow or do anything different. Yeah, sure. Sometimes you just get a bad feeling about something and you know that yeah. it's not the right fit. So my assumption is, or I guess something that maybe I've I've heard, is that when she wanted to bow out to SNL, she was kind of leaving them hanging because they'd already contracted her. So she put your name forward. Is that kind of how you kind of got pulled up into that uh, that season? Totally. Totally. I got a call from her and I know Tony was, um, uh, Tony was, was putting my name forward too, you know, get Robin, get Robin. So, so I got a call from Catherine and she said, fly down, you know, right away, come down, I'm leaving and they're looking for women. So I got on a plane and I went down to New York and I stayed with Catherine, I think, you know, for that first, for a first couple of days. Mm-hmm. And I went in and I met Dick. I say, I think, yeah, I met Dick. And then I just kind of hung around. And then Catherine said, come on, let's go. We got to go. I got to go home or something. I've got to get back to the hotel. And I said, well, you know, they haven't said anything to me. And so Catherine said, I, I have to run this fire. I have to, but she said, just, just go in there and tell them you need an answer. Because you've got to get going. Wow. Uh, okay. So I went, yeah, uh, okay. Because that's what it was. You know, Catherine would say, do this, and I would do that. Right. So, you know, come on down. Okay, I'll come down. And um, so that's what I did. I went in. <laughs> oh, man. Confident, huh? <laughs> I, was, I wasn't confident, but Catherine, I was, I was, you know, hanging off of her confidence. And I went in and said, listen, I've got to get going. Can you give me an answer? And they said, yeah, okay, well, you're in. Nice. So this is I Dick Ebersol? Yeah. So I didn't audition. Once again, I didn't audition. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. So I, so I, you know, I got from, you know, workshop to SNL without an audition. That's uh, <laughs> that's that amazing. A, yeah, that is a rare, <laughs> rare situation to fall into. As, as you know, you know, this is such a fascinating period in SNL history. You joined during the last episode of a strike-shortened season <laughs> after the original Not Ready for Pine Pine players had left the show. Um, yeah. So what are your memories doing that that first, last episode of the sixth season? Well, what are my memories? Probably the more drinking. <laughs> <laughs> always, always drinking. That last episode wasn't just like the last of that season, but the episode before you came in was the actual situation where they had the turnover and Dick Ebersol took the reins, got rid of some of the existing cast. So you had like a mid season retooling that happened right as you're falling in. Yeah. And you have basically one episode to establish yourself on the show in the midst of all this craziness. Yeah. That I'm sure you realize it, but that's a, a like a historic and unique thing <laughs> that that you kind of uh, had to navigate through. Well, it all seemed just normal. Sure. You know, I mean, it just seemed that's what it was. I, I, you know, oh, okay. So now I've got to learn these lines and I've got to play this character. I mean, it was just playing my part in it. Sure. Not, you know, I'm not... I wasn't concerned about all of that. I was just so happy I had a job and, and that I was working on this show. So all that just, yeah, I guess there was a pressure of the, 
of the old cast sort of looming over us. I don't know. I, I, I don't, I, I just remember it as being, you know, just going ahead and doing it. It was, yeah, you're just seeing it at a day-to-day level. This is the grind. This is what's right in front of me. So exactly. you're just plugging away. Yeah. Now, did you know, like when when that season ended up getting cut short because of the strike and you basically had one episode under your belt, when did you know that you were coming back for the seventh season? Oh, God. You know, I don't know. Fair enough. <laughs> I don't remember that. It's lost to the sands of time how you got called back to season seven. But one way or another, you come back and now we've got kind of uh, an established showrunner who's going to be there for a while. And he's trying to bring a different approach to the show and rein things in and just make it his own a little bit. And you're one of the few people that seem to survive the majority of his era. So I'd, I'd really be interested to know... What did it take to really make it at SNL during that time? And, and how did, what, what was it really like to be a part of the cast? Was there a lot of camaraderie or was it competitive or uh, how did you just, uh, what was it like <laughs> from someone who was there? Well, the, the cast was, was fantastic. I, you know, the, everybody in the cast there that first year, Christine and Mary, mm-hmm. uh, Tim, Joe, Eddie, myself. Right? Am right. I missing anybody? And it was a great cast. We all really liked the. I mean, as far as I knew, uh, we all really liked each other. Uh, it was more the cast versus the writers. Mm. You know, it, it, it just felt like that's where the divide was. Okay. What was the writing climate like at uh, SNL versus, say, SCTV? Well, it was it was very different. Um, you know, you had standards and practices and, and you had a lot of different sensibilities coming in. Mm-hmm. A lot of, you know, for me, it just, you know, some things were funny and a lot of stuff wasn't. Whereas on, uh, it seemed like SCTV, everything was good and funny. But there was a big, huge mixture. And I guess it was just because of the nature of the beast. You've got to write so much. And, um, you know, so much has to be handed in and, uh, for read through, and I just remember writing a lot. Like all I did was write, write sketches because that's what I I knew how to write sketches. So I started mm-hmm. writing sketches, and and a lot of them made made it to air that first year. So um, so that's what I did the first year was just kind of write my way out of it, write my way into it, or whatever. Yeah. But what was it like working with stand-ups after, you know, being in Second City in Toronto and, and being with people who had studied with Dell Close and everything? Uh, you know, Dell came to um, SNL at one point and Eddie did not have an interest in, in, you know, learning from him. No, but it was kind of awkward. I mean, he was right. It was awkward. It was kind of silly for us to be, I mean, uh, you know, trying to improvise and and write and come up with characters. It just wasn't, it was unnatural. It just mm. wasn't a fit. It wasn't organic. Right. So it's like at SCTV, they started out doing it that way, you know, trying to improvise. And, and Eugene remember telling me they, that's how they started, but it, they quickly threw that away and just learned how to sit at a table and brainstorm around a table to come up with ideas and characters. So that's basically, I think what Eddie was, was, King, like we don't need to do this, right? And it it, it did feel awkward and not 
not productive at all. I guess time has kind of proven that lesson because they don't really rely on yeah. kind of an improvisational evolutionary kind of approach at the show. It's, it's, it's written. It's, you know, it's, it's structured that way. Yeah. So that's obviously what works yeah. now during that time, you know, you're kind of writing your way through um, and just kind of creating your own vehicles. What were you doing to sort of stay creative and inspired and, and, and be able to generate so that you could bring a lot to the show? How, how, how were you thriving? Oh my God, that was hard. <laughs> I can imagine. That was hard. You know, yeah, there wasn't a lot to draw on. It was, um, what was, yeah, I mean, well, you know, things like the whiners just came out of Joe and I walking around one night just, uh, you know, whining about <laughs> not having any material. Uh, your name is, sir, please? Doug and Wendy Weiner. <laughs> Nobody was writing for us. And then I thought, oh, hmm. Write what you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I went home and wrote the Weiners that night. And then I handed it in to read through. And it had no jokes on The script had no jokes in it. So when I came in the next morning, it wasn't in the pile of scripts for the read-through, and I went to the producer. I said, well, could you put the whiners in? And he said, well, it doesn't have any jokes. I said, well, just, it's in the attitude, it's in the characters. Could you please just let us read it? So they put it back in, and uh, and it was really successful. So that was, um, yeah. that was, you know, one of the ways was, as you say, yeah, write what you know. Yeah. Did you write all the whiner sketches? No, I wrote the, the first one, and then after that, they were sort of handed over to uh, Blaustein and Sheffield. Okay. You know, the hosts would want to be in the liners, but they, they recognized that as, a, you know, a good, solid thing to be a part of. So they were usually, you know, written by those guys. What do you um, look back on as kind of the best material that you were able to get on the show? Like, what, what was the high watermark for your time at SNL as far as you're concerned? like the whiners and of course you know i did the very first impersonation <laughs> of mr t absolutely yeah if yours means me and my husband mr t you should be drinking mr and mrs t bloody mary mix i pity the fool that doesn't drink it i pity the fool isn't that right mr t i pity the fool that's a classic sketch from that era that that definitely is a hall of fame sketch yeah thank you i've heard that story about how that came about are you interested in relating that, or do you just want our audience to maybe do their own homework and find that elsewhere? <laughs> well, I can relate it. You want me to relate it? I would love you to tell me the story of Mrs. T. Well, it just, it, uh, I, was, I lived Welch, and I went to see Rocky Three in the afternoon. Like, we just sort of skipped out of uh, the 17th floor, and we went to see a movie, that movie, Rocky Three, and I was just blown away. We were blown away by him. I'd never seen a character as mean and as bad <laughs> as him, so it was just great. You know, he was a big character. I like big. Mm-hmm. So he, um, so all the way back to, you know, the 17th floor, we were just going, I pity the fool, I pity the fool. <laughs> we were just imitating him all the way back. And I said to Dick Ebersole, you've got to get this guy on the, on the show. His name's Mr. T. He was in Rocky. He's in Rocky 3. He's just fantastic. And Dick said, well, I don't know who he is. He has no TV, too. You know, not going to happen. 
So then about a month later, he said, okay, Robin, your boyfriend's coming on to the show <laughs> and uh, write something up for him. So I guess they were, I wonder if they were sort of, you know, testing him for the A-team. And so I wrote up Mr. and Mrs. T's Bloody Mary mix, where I did an impersonation of him, played his wife, and just used all the lines from Rocky Three <laughs> to pitch this Bloody Mary mix. And then um, he, he wasn't a host, he was a special guest, so he wasn't there to read through. They brought him in on the Thursday. Uh, Dick and Bob Tischler brought him down to the studio to introduce him to me. They hadn't told him what the sketch was because I think they were afraid of how he might react. Right. Because nobody had done an impersonation of him before. So they left it to me <laughs> to, uh, to tell him what it was or to read it to him. And then they hid behind a flat <laughs> as I, I'm not kidding. They knew it could go either way. <laughs> yeah. So they actually went off and I could see them peeking out from behind the flat <laughs> as I went through the script with Mr. T and doing an impersonation of him and uh, just very quietly going, I pity the fool, shut up old man. You come to my apartment tonight, I'll show you real bloody business. <laughs> and, um, and he's like Mr. T, right? He's there, he's got the chains and the mohawk and he's just over the top the muscles on him. Oh my God. <laughs> and I finished reading it. My head is down and I, and there's a silence and I just hear, you're a funny lady. And, then <laughs> that <was it. laughs> and that was it. And then, uh, that was the sketch that I pity the fool became, yep. you know, if I had a nickel <laughs> for every time, but that's, uh, that was the name of that tune. I have a one final SNL question. Um, Tim Kazarinski has said that you were underutilized at the show. Um, yeah. Did you agree with that? Do you feel that way? Was I underutilized? Yeah, I guess. But, you know, I was never, frankly, I was never really comfortable doing that show. I never felt like um, I... It, 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 the, the focus was split to me. I didn't know whether to play the camera or the audience. I love performing in front of, mm. you know, on the stage. And it was always it, it was conflicted all the time about that. Like I wanted to just shove the cameras away yeah. and, um, and just perform. But it wasn't, you know, that wasn't what it was. I mean, Eddie just, you know, he knew the camera. He could play <laughs> the camera. And I couldn't. So I, I just don't think I... You know, I, I've read very strongly on the show, mm -hmm. so so I could see that, and and I wasn't. I don't think I was as good at delivering jokes that were being written. Like it was very joke driven, mm -hmm. uh, you know, very punchline driven a lot of the time, and I just didn't have that knack for doing that. Like I think my stuff was more character or more scenic. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so underutilized, yeah, I guess, but I don't know. Looking back, I think, yeah, I don't, I, I can see it, I guess, yeah. That that said, um, you were able to stick around there a lot longer than many, especially during that, that time period. Yeah. When did it all kind of come to a head? Why, why did, um, what, it must have been around the 
ninth season, right? Was your last season? 84. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it was 84. And, you know, in the second year I had been, in the first year I'd written more than I think most of the writers. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't say that, but I had written a lot that had gone on air in that first season that I was on. So I had handed in uh, a portfolio to Dick with all the sketches that had made the air as a, you know, to be hired as a writer. So I was hired as a writer for the, for the next two years. Okay. And then they were, uh, they were bringing Jim Belushi on board. And I think uh, Dick wanted me to give up my writing credit and I didn't want to give it up. Mm. So they, I guess Jim had come in under the condition that he gets writers. So it was just, I guess they had to, to lose me to get some writers for Jim Belushi. Okay. So that, you know, and I wasn't, as I said, it wasn't like I was, you know, I guess Mary and Julia had, you know, more TVQ or whatever than I did at that point. So that was the, that's what happened. I think, I I, I think that's what happened. You know. I think it was around the rating. It just came down to budget, same as it always is, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at first, I, you know, I thought it was personal. You take it personally. You right. think you're no talent. and But I think in the long run, that, that's what it was, that they had to hire more writers. Right. Well, obviously, you, you wouldn't have been there as long as, as you, you were if you weren't bringing something of value to the show. So I can understand it being a heavy blow, but I don't, I don't think with the advantage of looking back, uh, that you should sell yourself short. I think, uh, I think your contribution to the show was fantastic. Oh, you're lovely. Thank you. Well, I, I enjoy pandering. Um, so <laughs> very good. At it. So you, you've stepped back from SNL. What, what's next? Uh, what's next? Well, I went, uh, down to California. They were starting a second city theater down there. So I went down to open a theater in Los Angeles with, um, people from uh, Chicago and then there was a mix of people from Toronto and Chicago Mm -hmm. and that was great that was really fun I had a blast doing that like I was working with Mike Haggerty and Richard Kind and Brian Stiles and Bonnie Hunt and Mm. Don Lake and oh my god what's a lot sure can we talk about Club Paradise oh yeah that's right I did Club Paradise Club Paradise (laughs) If I can just go on a rant for a second, I think that's such an unsung comedy. The cast is like a who's who of comedy <laughs> legends from that era. And it actually feels like a reunited SCTV in a lot of ways. Oh um, plus, God. you know, you have Peter O'Toole and Jimmy Cliff there as well, too. So what was that like? You know, how did you get brought into that movie? What was your relationship like with Harold Ramis um, or working with Mary Gross uh, and Rick Moranis? Well, um, OK, so there, there had been a... Uh, uh, Second City Theater Chicago anniversary show, uh, and um, there had been um, I had done a scene that I had done for years at Second City, and it was a woman. Uh, it was a booth. It was called Shop, and I play this stocking saleswoman named Mona, who follows you know, women around the store and, and uh, abuses them and uh, around her boutique. <laughs> yep. Like, and I did that in Chicago and Harold thought and really liked it. So he, um, I think I auditioned for, because he called me into audition for Club Paradise after seeing me in that. He wanted me to be in Club Paradise after that. Okay. So that's how that happened. 
Had you known him before, Harold Ramis? Oh, God, I may have met him before. Yes, I may have met him, maybe when he was up in Toronto. Uh, but I loved Harold. He was, oh, my God, he was just one of those people that, that you know, supported me and encouraged me and just a friend, a good, smart, uh, generous, warm-hearted guy. Hmm. Funny. So smart. Oh, my God. You know, scared me how smart he was. I was, you know, anyway, so, um, so yeah, I got to go to Jamaica for three months. And that was <laughs> not bad. Insane. You know, just looking across the, you know, we were all staying at this place called, called the Marbella Club. And, you know, you just look across the grounds and there goes Peter O'Toole or there goes Joanna Cassidy or yep. Adolph Green. And it was Robin Williams. It was wild. It was wild. And the nannies were having a heyday. I tell you, that's where Robin met his nanny, right? Wow. Oh, I shouldn't be saying that. Oh, my son is laughing at me. <laughs> well, yeah, there was some partying. There was some, oh, shenanigans. Mm-hmm. My husband was down there for a lot of it. And uh, we had, we just, you know, we just loved it. I mean, Laughs. We had a big uh, one night just sitting around the pool, every uh, and singing into the middle of the night, harmonizing. <laughs> Who was there? One song. Well, Harold was there, and Eugene, and uh, was Catherine down there? Maybe Catherine might have come down. Okay. Uh, and just people singing around the pool. It was. It, that was so amazing. You know, just these beautiful voices. There are worse ways to build a career. <laughs> I know. I have been so blessed. I have been so fortunate. You know, I just uh, pinch myself. I have really been lucky. Why do you think you kept on collaborating with Harold Ramis in these films? Um, I don't know. Maybe he wanted to have the same people in, in all his movies. There may have been that. But he just, you know, he just put me into these things, maybe because he liked me. I, I don't know. I was just really fortunate. Well, you are punctual, so you had that going <laughs> I for I was you. on time. <laughs> what was it like working with Bill Murray um, on the set of Groundhog Day, which is now a, a universal classic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bill was great. And, uh, you know, and I I remember at the table read, uh, the first reading of the of the of Groundhog Day, Bill knew all his lines, and that blew me away because I didn't know any of mine. <laughs> so he, uh, <laughs> I, had, I had seven lines probably, and you know when when we were reading together, you know he was looking right at me, you know reading the you know saying the lines, and I had to keep putting my head down to which was okay. That was not good. But I, I recognized what a professional he was. I mean, you, I, I would never have thought that Bill Murray would be <laughs> off book for a table read. Right. He was. He doesn't come across as, as studied and responsible. Yeah, he seems no. very off the cuff in his performances. Yes. Had you crossed paths with Bill Murray um, any of the times that maybe he came back to Rockefeller Plaza, you know, for just to support the show during your time there? Oh, 
yeah. I mean, I, I remember them a bit from Saturday Night Live, and I remember them a bit from, you know, days in Toronto when they switched cast. Right. Right. And you yeah, must have known so, Brian pretty well. Yes, I did know Brian. Brian's a doll. Oh, my God. I love Brian. Who doesn't love Brian? <laughs> no, but Bill was great, and he was, uh, he, you know, he did this really lovely thing where he... In, in one of the scenes that we were shooting, I think it was the, you know, where he says she wants to go to Paris, Doris wants to go to Paris. And he, he took me physically and he moved me in such a way so that I was facing the camera yep. and that uh, in the editing, it wouldn't be cut out that I'd have to be in the shot. Oh, okay. Right. Generous. Right. I remember so that, that shot. That's a very... He was very uh, gracious in doing that and thinking, you know, thinking of me in that moment, you know. So there were all these wonderful things that that he was doing for me throughout. And uh, that was that was cool. And then watching him perform, he would do takes like he might do seven takes, a lot of takes. And each one was completely different. And. Uh A different energy or a different voice, different tone, everything was different. And you'd go like, what the heck is he doing? And then on that last take, it would be brilliant. He would just nail it. Hmm. And you Uh knew it was perfect. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. (laughs) So um, obviously, you you know, you have... Uh, dozens of credits under your belt kind of between the time when you left SNL to today. Is there anything particularly memorable about what you've been up to the the last little while that you, you'd like to relate? Well, I have many things in uh, on my plate right now. I'm just about to go for a wardrobe fitting for a man seeking woman. Right. It is just a dream show. It, once again, it's like, how did this happen? How did I get this role <laughs> that is like just perfect? Like it's everything. I can be big. I can be small. I can, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it's a gift. It's such a gift, this role. And I get to work with Jay Barishaw, who is the most brilliant actor. And it's like playing tennis. You, you play up with him. He's right. Okay. Brilliant. And oh, and my son says to shout out Eric Andre, who's just <laughs> so much fun. And, oh, yeah. And that and, I was going to mention, uh, I mean, I feel like Eric Andre is a perfect example of someone who, you know, has probably been influenced by SCTV. You know, so I think oh, it's yeah. so fitting that you're working with someone like that. Right. Um, how's yeah. Mark McKinney? Oh, God, I love Mark. <laughs> I love Mark. And um, he's just such a great guy. And we have some good laughs. You know, I've known Mark since, like, when he was performing with the kids in the hall. Nobody knew who they were. You know, right. I'd go down and, right. and improvise with them uh, at the Rivoli. Okay. And I've known Mark. And Mark went to a private that my uncle used to teach us. So we go back a long way. I remember seeing them, my friend Pam Thomas taking me or wanting me to go down to see them. And I just left Saturday Night Live. I was like, oh, Pam, I can't go see a comedy show. Everything I'm seeing is not making me laugh. And I, I just, I've lost my sense of humor. I don't know, you know, what what's wrong with me. And then she insisted that I go. And I just, I fell in love with them. I was <laughs> like, okay, yes, yeah, it's not over. Comedy is not dead for me. 
<laughs> Good. <laughs> they revived my faith in uh, in comedy, the kids in the hall. Well, that's excellent. Canada is a very small town when it comes to those sort of things. It is. Oh, totally. So what else have you got on the go? Anything that you'd like to talk about? Oh, okay. Well, of course, I did Schitt's Creek, right. which yep. I played a great character and got to play with uh, Dan Levy, who I remember from Club Paradise as a baby. <laughs> there with his mom and dad and yelling at the moon, it's the moon, it's the moon. And then... Um, and then I'm, you know, working with them. It was that was really fun, and uh, I am. Uh, so I'm, I'm writing a book about about my experiences, all this stuff that we're kind of talking about, but also, you know, about the origins of improv and and all that. So I'm that's I'm working on that. I'm also, you know, I teach full time at Humber College, which is a huge. Uh, a huge thing that I'm involved with. And then I also Great. finished writing a one woman show that I performed, you know, a couple of previews of uh, about uh, my time with breast cancer, having breast cancer, oh, uh, having a mastectomy and it's called I've been hacked. Okay. So mm. it's, <laughs> you can laugh. Yeah. <laughs> are, are you still performing that or have you, is that just a one run kind of a thing? Hopefully in the new year, I'll get it back up on the seat and, um, and do it, but that was um, that was a really challenging, interesting process for me to do that. You know, to get up in front of people by myself, sure. and because I've never done that before. Yeah, that's courageous. Yeah, so that was um, yeah. So anyway, I had fun doing that. I worked with a, a piano player, Kevin Staples from Rough Trade, and he. Um, I could play off of him and, and we, we really had a good time, fun doing it. And Excellent. I'd like to perform it at hospitals or, you know, for yeah. uh, women who are, who are going through it and, and hopefully can get, you know, find some humor in it and have some laughs. Sure. Uh, and, and identify with the, the little things that you're, you're, you're going through on a day to day basis. Right. The details of things. Yeah. So definitely. anyway, and I'm writing uh, with the women fully clothed. Right. So my, you know, that my heart is in that too, for sure. With those gals, they're so funny. And uh-huh. I just met with Kathy Greenwood this morning to, we're writing, um, hopefully a television show. So we were working on that. How did that collaboration uh, with women fully clothed come about? Well, I guess I was, um, you know, uh, uh, we moved back to Toronto after my, when my son was three and I just was a stay-at-home mom, and I I was going and meeting with moms after school for coffee, and we'd sit around, and we'd laugh, and we'd share stories. And I just remember thinking, this is so, this could be on a stage, you know, this could be a show, this could, you know, what we're yeah. talking about. We're still laughing. You know, Second City was, uh, you know, I would go to Second City, it was great, but I wasn't identifying with any of the experiences. Um, okay. You know the people that were doing it. They're just all young, and <laughs> and uh, I just needed. I thought, well, this is you know, I'm still laughing. Surely we could write some material that people my age, I was 50 at the time, could could enjoy. Sure. Other than just going out to Yuck Yucks or Second City. Sure. So I just grabbed some. I I grabbed these like-minded women. You know, women that I wanted to work with and who had made me laugh over the years, and we got together. And uh, that's 
how it started. We just wrote our, I mean, it's a longer story than that, but it's, um, uh, when I was 50, I, and even now I feel like I was doing the most rewarding work of my career. I was just getting out on a stage and making, you know, anywhere from 300 to 1,000 people laugh. And that's just the best feeling. Mm-hmm. And from our own material and, you know, really speaking to women about, once again, the details of life, specifics of, of that. Obviously, you you were on to something because... The material—it's been getting obviously great reviews. I'm sure you're 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 aware of some of the the praise. So it's it's just interesting that after having a career where you've been in the trenches and it's like generate, 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 and you always have to wire your brain to be thinking about what's the next sketch. <laughs> that you get to a point in your life where you can just step back and say, okay, let's make some material that resonates with me. Exactly. And you realize that there's there's a huge audience out there that's being underserved that would love to hear right. that kind of inspired performance. So uh, kudos for continuing to find new ways to express yourself and perform and, and obviously get the recognition that you you're due. Oh, thank you so much. That's so nice. I'm glad you, uh, that's nice. Thank you. I that's so lovely. Well, I'd I'd like to thank you. I don't want to impose on your time. I know that we uh, said let's do it for an hour, so we're running a little long. But uh, I just that, that's okay. I just I wanted to make sure that I expressed that uh, this is a a rare treat for us. Absolutely, and uh, it's it's been been fascinating to be able to kind of walk through through some history with you. And uh, I I just like you to know that on behalf of of our audience and myself personally and Andy that uh, we really appreciate uh, what you've done with your career and and uh we just think it's fantastic that you were were willing to make some time to chat with us oh anytime i love to talk (laughs) (laughs) yes thank you so much robin really really appreciate it no thank you thanks to my very special guest robin duke you can connect with robin on twitter at robin duke wfc and thank you also to andy hoagland you can connect with Andy on Twitter at SNL and Review. If you'd like to support our podcast, please consider using and bookmarking our Amazon and other affiliate links found at snlafterparty.fm. It costs you absolutely nothing to use our affiliate links when shopping online, but it really helps us in covering our costs and is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in two weeks when SNL returns with host Felicity Jones and musical guest Sturgill Simpson. This has been episode number 11 of the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Yes, SCTV is on the air. Third exercise is to take an ordinary sink plunger like this one. This one's also been medically approved. Now... Places against your head like this. The purpose of this exercise is to stretch the skin in order to accommodate the new large head. Some more music, please. Please join me next week.
when we'll be talking about diet through disease and how to obtain effective weight-losing sicknesses such as malaria, scurvy, and conjunctivitis where you can't see the food you're eating.